The Digital Salon is a curation of listening experiences produced by the alumni and affiliated members of the Urban Humanities Initiative at UCLA. Even as urban space reinvents the enclosure, season two seeks out collectives situated in the city. If our first season asked how the pandemic is a portal, in our second we asked how, within such a time, can we gather? And what do we share? In this podcast that we call Collective, we tune into the knowledge that communal work transmits in polyvocal frequencies and interlocking scales. We're your hosts. I'm Gus Wendell. And I'm Jacqueline Barrios. And for our first episode, we take you to the scale of global memory as a collective group of sound artists and architects led by Lina Pozniakova and Yara Fagali walk us through the streets of Beirut, past and present, to reflect on collective trauma, grief, and healing. Hi, um, so nice to hear from you. Wow, your message um, was heavy, not in a bad way or a good way. It's just, you know, I just got back from Beirut, so everything that you're talking about, uh, collective memory and trauma and, you know, reflections on humanity and urban spaces. I mean, I, I don't even know where to begin because the trip was so intense uh, and walking through the city, you know, um, in lockdown, you know, after, um, yeah, I had an experience walking in Beirut um, when I first got there. Uh, walking downtown and it was the city was under total lockdown so there wasn't even um, uh, there wasn't even like a car on the street and so I walked for the first time in the city in silence in the sunlight and I went down to the port area uh, close to the blast site um, and I walked for maybe seven hours I mean, I walked every day there. I couldn't stop walking. Um, And the port area and the surrounding areas have three layers of destruction now. You have the Civil War destruction architecturally, you know, from the 80s. And then you have all of the destruction from the protests that have been happening in October, you know. Um, you know, the tagging and the broken storefronts and then just the decimation from the um, from the explosion, you know, aside from COVID and the financial meltdown of the country and everything else that is happening. But and I was walking through the city and there wasn't even like I might have seen like two or three people the whole afternoon um, in total silence, just walking through the destruction. And I, you know, I get emotional just thinking about it now. It's a very intense feeling that I, um, I'm not even sure how to process yet, to be honest. I have never been to this place before. I'm now looking at the map. It slowly loads in me. It lands in my mind in the form of fragmented thoughts and scattered images. On the map, I can see numerous streets with a collage-like layout of darker patterns leading towards its center. Larger, object-like figures occupy the periphery of the map and leave me wondrous about where the city ends. My attention is naturally drawn to a tightly set and more layered area on the image. I can guess that this is the city center. Here, the layout is dense and resembles a non-grid settlement that of some of the medieval towns. 
but not the ones that I have been to before. The place feels rich in its historical layers. One can imagine the generations of changing inhabitants throughout the years. Perhaps, with time passing, some of its old facades changed only a little. And maybe, those streets embrace peculiar hidden gems. Small gardens behind the gates, fountains and courtyards, and secret tea rooms behind the antique stores. I can only imagine numerous pilgrimages towards those sites, with visitors seeking its hidden treasures. Within this area, I can see a distinct contour. Is this a dividing line? A border? Is there a city within a city? I know that sometimes medieval towns were surrounded by walls made of stone and brick. I can imagine it. I wonder what kind of boundary it is. Is this a wall? And does this wall have towers and heavily decorated vaulted gates? On both sides of the boundary, I can see the same urban layout, the same thickness of life. The city seems divided, but it reads as one place. I can sense this place and its rich and layered history on both sides. Now I can see the contour of the city. It borders with a vast space. This is the shoreline. The city is located on the seashore. Most probably, the city's development was dependent on its access to water. And due to this growth, the streets formed into irregular lines, cities' veins. It seems that back then the space was limited, making the streets narrow in width. I can imagine them as picturesque and crowded places, cozy paths with vivid urban situations and layers of various activities. The map combines images from a few facades. They reflect the site-specific situation that hints on its geography and local conditions. The exteriors of buildings have ornamented curtain walls. There must be a lot of light that falls onto the surface of these buildings. Some of the images illustrate clustered and layered construction. Some of them resemble prefab architecture, tectonically varied as standalone oversight sculptures. The map shows many textures, stone, maybe brick, limestone and red brick, I can imagine arches, stairs, terraces, and courtyards laid out from these materials. On both sides of the map, I can see the formation as lucid associations, layers of events. The center of the map, precisely on the shoreline, is marked with a sharp and striking icon. It looks alien, and it's a strange sign. It's a scar. The map that I can see is black and white with gray tones and abrupt transitions with almost no gradient. Everything is sharp. Two words on the map stand out. Before and after. They are marked with green and red color. Three colors come into play. Red, green and white. There is a lot of black on the page, especially in the dense central area. And yet, the white color prevails. The text on the map is written in Arabic, but there is also a line in English. It says, let's talk about Beirut. I grew up visiting family in Beirut every summer. Um, and I've always been fascinated by the architecture of the city. And the older I get, the more interested I become in this. Um, Beirut is a very dense, 
kind of woven city with um, so many different types of architecture just, you know, right next to each other. So you'll have these kind of grand uh, Ottoman palaces next to brutalist structures, um, next to Dubai-style like mega glass towers and uh, incredible mid-century buildings next to mosques and churches and um, and then you know that's on the architectural level but you know if you look a little bit deeper there's the kind of sociological cartilage that that lies between the architecture and the buildings and it kind of ties the whole city together or not I think depending um, but uh, yeah, it's a city, Beirut is a city that has been continuously inhabited for thousands of years. And when I'm in Beirut, I forget I have legs. I can walk for hours and hours and um, just looking and photographing, uh, looking at and photographing architecture. Um, so when I was there in 2019, um, I took a bunch of photographs and uh, collected notes and uh, and decided to uh, combine everything into a zine um, called Castles in Beirut. Uh, and this zine is kind of an honor uh, to the architecture of the city and, um, you know, in physical form. And uh, so the zine opens with a piece of writing uh, and this piece of writing kind of emerged from a combination of voice memos and written notes that I took during my trip. And um, I feel that it represents the essence of this kind of dreamlike alien state I find myself whenever I'm in Beirut, as I grapple with my connection to the city, uh, part alien and part of. I dream in terrazzo, matte, heavy with tread, random distribution, staggered roof lines, balconies curved and alive between mute monoliths, oriental beauties prosthetically intact, indiscriminate construction, shoulder to shoulder, compressed, like the folded mirrors of parked cars that line the alleys, every centimeter counts. Here, people have choice, Dreams as varied as the architecture that houses them, non-standardized, non-gridded, infinite resolution. Reconstruction and chaos, again. And traffic flows like a multi-dimensional river, laneless, marbled, self-regulating, cybernetic. Grids give the illusion of civilization. Here, no one is pretending. This is life post-grid. No power, no problem. Lines are for suckers. Push. Beirut is an energy, self-determined, invisibly agile. Fire blood muddled with kerosene of the past. Granular sectarianism woven against generational intellectualism. Tight, borderless, rich, regressive. Hairspray lady, give the Givenchy to the maid. The patina is real. Tears desalinated, eyes glaze westward. 
as I walk among palaces in the east. I tell you, Beirut has many lovers. Built on a rocky promontory on the east of the Mediterranean under the shadow of Mount Lebanon, it projects out into the sea as a balcony onto the world. These are not my words, but another more poetic lover. It has thrived on the myth that it has been destroyed seven times and seven times rebuilt itself. An earthquake during the Roman era, plagues, famines, and civil wars. This image almost helps justify why Beirut is chaotic, almost always living on the brink, and almost always consuming itself to the ends of hedonism because it is fated to destroy itself only to rebuild itself. Now, you will say, wake up, spare us your foolish idolatry love. Beirut is ugly, Beirut is dirty, run down, corrupt, and unjust to its citizens. We need to fix it. True, we do. But I urge you to fix it from within by learning how it could self, how it could fix itself, how it has fixed itself, and to make the most out of the qualities that make Beirut, Beirut. I think the memories that you have help you cope probably. And if somebody comes here without um, the image of the city as it was in the 60s and 70s, mm. it's uh, like that magic that you feel that's connected with that. It's hard to, uh, like for me, I wasn't here then. I've, I've only known Beirut after, mm. uh, as it is after the war. Mm. So I don't, I don't have the same nostalgia. Mm. Um, and uh, like I wonder, I wonder what the city would look like for me if I had that nostalgia. Mm. And if I, if I, if I saw Hamra as it was, and not as it is now. So, mm. um, this is just, I think about like the function of memory. Of course. The function of memory and uh, survive and coping. Mm. How it's it's uh, um, a maybe it's a kind of coping strategy, or or it helps. Of course, it helps. Yeah, yes. of course. We, we cherish uh, memories are part of our DNA. Uh, it can be bad memories. It can be good memories. The uh, people who have bad memories uh, would not live in Beirut, uh, cannot cope with the current uh, situation. But for us, I mean, we had very uh, kind of privileged life, so uh, still we capitalize on that. Nostalgia means the love to return. Mm. Nostalgia is the love to return. So, uh, when you uh, taste something good, you love to taste it again. So, I'll take you today uh, for, uh, for a visit to the Hamra Street in Beirut. 
Christian movie? About the Genesis, the Old Testament, it's of course Christian. So the nuns brought us here. So now, because of the war, all the cinema theaters were um, used as arsenals. All of them. As arsenals? Yes, for the, during the 76 war. So all the movie theaters now are closed because they were very much damaged by the war, 76, and they were used for arsenals for the parties to hide their arms. 
but this one, the Sarulla on my right hand, uh, they somehow revamped it, and it's now a, a theater. Masrah al Madina. And the thing about Beshel is that Beshel exists in a, a very unique relationship with uh, a neighboring city, another city called Alcoma. Um, and the, the border between the two cities is, is really kind of unlike any other border in the world. I have never lived in a divided city. The one reference that comes up in my imagination is a fictional urban space of Bashal and Ulkoma. Rain and wood smoke live in both cities, the proverb has it. Very occasionally, a young Ulkoman who doesn't know the area of their city, that Ulkoma town crosshatches, will blunter up to ask directions of an ethnically Ulkoman Bashal dweller, thinking of them to be his or her compatriots. The city and the city takes place in the most incredible place on earth. The cities of Peshel and Alcoma share the same space. That is to say, the streets of the two cities run together. But due to quirks of history and international politics, the streets are in two separate and somewhat antagonistic countries. Reading about the thoughts and lifestyles of people who share the same space and yet are divided by the boundary was a striking discovery. This was the closest to the experience of the city in the city and my reference in thinking about Beirut's divided space once I learned more about it. Historically, Beirut, during the Civil War, being divided into and having those markings and you're either on this side or on the other one. I think somehow these are really deep architectural problems, looking at a city through its politics and how it's been divided, how different parts have been developed, you know, due to that, to who rules this areas or that one, due to military presence, to um, political parties taking over specific areas. This feeling of living in two different cities, one that you are fascinated by, that architecture is mesmerizing and difficult to draw or impossible to comprehend. And on the other side, a city that is seems surrounded by walls or divided and a city only composed of boundaries and line and edges and things you can do and things you cannot do, places you can go, places you cannot cross or look at. But you could feel that us, the Lebanese, we shared trauma. We shared a deep trauma of impossible events, one after the other, and not being able to relate to, some, to other culture as easily and not being able to relate to things that are supposed to be normal. We are used to chaotic um, events, 
and really impossible situations that were just really traumatic. And I think that trauma is something that we all carry with us. We carry a deep, I think, pain and trauma towards uh, Beirut. at its port rocked the city. From here, all the blasts heated all this area in a very strong way. We have more than 100 units in very uh, critical situation. They are bringing me uh, a sense of life. They are bringing me a, a, a sense of living. And they bring me from the past all the memories Space have spirits that have to be saved and inherited to our to the new generation. We cannot say it's too much, we stop and it's over and let's dismantle. No, we have to try. The extent of the devastation is almost incomprehensible. I'm trying to run to put umbrellas on these buildings. <laughs> run as, as fast as possible. That's why we, we look at the forecast every day to see if we have one day more, two days more, and to protect as much as faster as possible. When the rains come, the foundations of these hundred buildings could be damaged beyond repair. People are so uh, desperate mm -hmm. in a certain way. So. Uh, all the good wins, all the little help they can provide didn't bring enough things to hold on. On the 10th of August, six days after the explosion, I finally decided to take my camera and to go walking through the ruins of Beirut. At first it felt very perverse to do so. And I felt extremely detached of myself, my surrounding and my camera. But I quickly convinced myself that this is something I had to do. And that maybe photography played an important role in commemorating this traumatic event. Keeping in mind that we live in a city and a country that tends to erase its past and to ignore its present. The films were developed with expired chemicals. These chemicals altered and affected the materiality and the physicality of the images. The images somewhat translate for me the strangeness and ambiguity of the situation. And they also emphasize on the polluted air of Beirut during that week. Maybe triggered by old trauma with very powerful forces at work and at certain times they may be too overwhelming too too much for the mind to hold at that time so we need to learn to recognize that when the mind is not able to be in balance the wise approach okay let me come back let me come to a place of safety of balance 
and then we open again. So there's a lot of sensitivity that's needed as we explore this terrain. Manara. Often, my nostalgia for Beirut brings me back to this place. My daily routine. It is a place where I reflect on my life, on everything that surrounds me. Living abroad, it is the place I come to connect with myself, with my city, and with the energetic diversity of the people. I can spend hours looking at the horizon with no illegal construction in my sight. I eavesdrop on some conversations, sip my coffee, sketch some ideas. I meditate on the sound and the smell of the waves. This is the place where I escape. The complexity and the conflicting feelings I have towards my city suddenly rush to my mind. A worrying silence invades my thoughts. A sudden layer of darkness. The skies are strange today. The times are strange. Reality hits again and again. Our scars are too deep to be dumped into oblivion. Today, we're left in fragments, and Beirut is in pain. And while I'm wearing my protective shield, I try to express it and a time and a space that has exploded. Uh, I used to go work in this space called uh, M. Nazir. And uh, uh, I don't know, I used, to, I used to really like this place. It was kind of like, there was like always music, really good food, uh, which basically is like super home made and it was really good uh, there was always a lot of people it had something super special in the fact that it, it was like kind of private so it was, it was super funny because you would just come out of the highway and then it was like a small street and then you would go in and then it would be like a, such a private space although it was like outside so it was on the highway open space like it was a terrace but still you could feel like the privacy and I felt like this is really you know this was really nice so I think this was my my favorite place in uh, Beirut even till now like when I think about Lebanon and everything I kind of really miss it uh, I've, I haven't been there I haven't been to Lebanon in like four three or four I don't, I don't really remember but it's been a, a while and and I was super excited to just go see and like, I don't know, I wanted to see like if it got better or if like they ruined it or something. Just after the explosion, it was like, it was just like right there. So I know that it got affected. I'm not really sure how much. I mean, I don't really know exactly what happened to it, but yeah, if you, I don't know, like, I think that's the... I guess our favorite place in Beirut was a street called Marem Khayel. It was a very special place because it was a safe space, a space where you would go and hear 
different languages and know that something other exists, something outside of uh, Beirut and Lebanon and our daily life. And we used to hang out there because it was a very open place where you would be accepted no matter what. And it had a lot of bars, a lot of restaurants, delicious restaurants. And it was open almost 24-7. And most of the images that we used in our piece uh, are uh, photogrammetry scans from buildings around that area that were all affected by um, the explosion. We actually haven't experienced going back to Beirut and seeing what happened to the city. And experiencing that trauma was real through media, through you know, um, friends, family telling us what happened, even being on the phone with them while it was happening and hearing stories and losing friends. We only have Beirut in our mind as what it used to be, but we never got to go there and experience it as it is today. In the heart of the heart of another country, by Tel Adnan, Place. So I have sailed the seas and come to be a city by the sea in Lebanon. It is 17 years later. My absence has been an exile from an exile. I'm of those people who are always doing what somebody else is doing, but a few weeks earlier. A fish in a warm sea. No house for shelter, but a bed. From house to house, those crumbled on a single shelf. I'm searching for love. Just as the city is divided um, between pre and post-war Beirut and pre and post-explosion Beirut, Many of us who are Lebanese or identify as Lebanese or partially Lebanese also um, experience an inner divide. Uh, for me, it's the divide of whether to go back or whether to stay. This kind of like internal feeling um, I felt was really well expressed in a passage from a book called Origins by Amin Malouf. And in this passage, he recounts a play written by his grandfather, Botros, in 1900. And there are two characters going back and forth between whether to stay or leave, and here's what they say. One character. When your prospects narrow in your town and you're afraid of not being able to earn your living anymore, then leave, for God's earth is wide, both in longitudes and latitudes. Another character. You think you prescribed the cure, whereas you pointed out the disease. The reason this country has fallen so low is precisely because so many of its children chose to leave rather than reform it. I, for one, need to be among my relatives so that they will share my joys when I am joyful and console me when I am in distress. The first character. Love of one's country is but weakness of character. Have the courage to leave, and you'll find another family to replace yours. And please don't tell me that remaining one's whole life in one's birthplace is in the nature of things. 
Look at water. Don't you see how fresh and beautiful it is when it flows towards the horizon and how viscous it becomes when it stagnates? Phenomenology of perception, Maurice Merleau-Ponty suggests the following. Change presupposes a certain position which I take up and from which I see things in procession before me. There are no events without someone to whom they happen, whose finite perspective is the basis of their individuality. Time presupposes a view of time. It is, therefore, not like a river, not a flowing substance. The fact that the metaphor based on this comparison has persisted from the time of Heraclitus to our own day is explained by our surreptitiously putting into the river a witness of its course. Time is, therefore, not a real process, not an actual succession that I am content to record. It arises from my relation to things. Like Megan Walker, the reader of China Mavils, The City and the City, I am curious about the power of imagination and narration about the cities physical forms, places and sites that we inhabit. In this sense, architecture and its narratives directly resonate with literary forms and other forms of art. A friend and a fellow curator came to me with this idea and said, hey, let's open up that website of ours and do something new and do something where we can collaborate with people. And it really gave us the opportunity to reach out to the world. And the impact was even greater. And, you know, let's talk about Beirut. Virtual space of the Studio 106 LA website that we used as a base for the Talk About Beirut project became our shared foundation. Each of us brought in a piece that created this common space, stitched of sound recordings that depicted Beirut before the explosion, photographs and scans of wounded spaces before and after the blast. The website also held the space for the silence. We wrote to many people from Beirut. Many of them replied that they haven't been working on anything since the blast, and everything that was made before that became irrelevant to them. And I found it a really important work to do and a healing work to do too. The work we do is already around Middle East, Lebanon, the Mediterranean coast. It always deals with the politics of this region, but to clearly um, address, you know, the buildings that were destroyed during this explosion directly, like a few months right after, was really important to do, I think and thinking about what happened and how do, you, how do you process that? How do you understand this trauma through your own work, through, um, through design in a way, through your way of dealing with the world and understanding the spaces around you? It was about thinking for us, how could we experience Beirut in a digital way? How could we recreate that space? And of course, we thought about uh, photogrammetry because we work a lot with 3D scanning. So we wanted to recreate that space so we could step into it and experience it at least, uh, try to reconnect to that space that we cannot uh, go to. And not only how do we experience it, but also how to relate to other friends, artists, 
um, that are also uh, Lebanese or have a connection with Beirut, how do they relate to the explosion? How do they relate to Beirut before and after and through their own me medium, through their own design tools? And this is why I think the second layer of collectivity is actually the exhibition itself, having a collective uh, a collective point of view, a collective discussion maybe on Beirut, but with different points of view, with different interests, but still the same shared concern for what happened, what Beirut means for us, what Beirut was before, and what Beirut is now. Uh, the sound piece that accompanied castles in Beirut is a combination of field recordings, poetry, and music that I composed while I was there. And the piece goes through different phases, starting with the kind of harsh stream of consciousness cut up and settling into kind of a dreamlike lull and then emerging into a lighter, open place, uh, kind of a third space of possibility, never quite resolving or arriving anywhere. And um, so these kind of stages are almost like a, an excavation stage and an exploration stage, and then a stage of the beginnings of action, which is where I feel we are now. There's such importance in creating that awareness space and an awareness of as a space for people to share and to be together and to come together with their ideas. Something that we can't get in just our micro community. Strangers still feel at home in Beirut. They feel welcome, no matter how dire their conditions of strangeness are. The pulse of the city is still there, simply because the people are still stronger than the building code, for better or for worse. And that those same people, at their best, when all else fails them, still take matters in their hands, again for better or for worse, to generate their own electricity, their own solutions, and along the way, they show us a privacy, perseverance, and resilience that are unmatched. Isn't Beirut beautiful? I hope it is clear to you by now, I'm desperately in love. So we have to keep going, right? We can't um, dwell in the trauma. Um, even the word trauma is like so loaded. Um, and it's, it, it, it's important to look to the past, but we also have to really like keep looking forward. And I'm with you on the idea of collective spaces. And I've decided to move back to Beirut for six months this year. I'm leaving in April. Uh, because I need to be there now. Um, so I'm working with some friends to open a small um, synthesizer library center kind of community space, like a six-month project. Um, 
and I'm working on some grant applications for that, and I'm really excited about that, and um, I'm excited to be back in Beirut. Um, and thank you for your work and the collective that you're a part of and your sensitivity to this and your wanting to spread awareness. Um, I think it's really important work what you're doing, and I... Um, I want to be a part of it. Even though I feel like I might not have the time, I want to make the time because I think it's important. So I'm sending you lots of love. Bye. Tune in next week for the next episode of the Digital Salon podcast, The Collective. To discover the archive behind this episode, visit our website, digitalsalonpodcast.com.